You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. Now, let's get into the podcast. So good to be with you all. And uh, yeah, just a special morning for me uh, to, to be able to share about Jesus being the light of the world. We're going to continue with our I Am series. Uh, We're looking this month at what makes the claims of Christ unique through seven times in the gospel, where uh, the gospel of John, where Jesus describes himself with the phrase, I am. And Johann started off last week with the very first of these statements, I am the bread of life. And today we're going to look at the second one. Jesus uses I am the light of the world. It's found in John 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Each of the I am statements that Jesus uses connects to a festival or a miracle or sometimes to both. And the statement of I am the light of the world does exactly that. Just like we saw last week with I am the bread of life in John 6. It was right before the Passover and right, before, right after the feeding of the 5,000. And this I am statement in John 8 is right after the festival of the tabernacles. We'll read about it in John 7. And right before a healing, a man born blind in John 9. I couldn't help but think about that song, Here I Am to Worship. Light of the world come down, made a light for me. I was blind and now I can see. We're going to look at that in John 9. He was physically and spiritually uh, not... (laughs) He, he was physically and spiritually healed, but he'll never be in darkness again. And that's God's promise to us as well when we look at this. So let's start at the beginning of John 7. For the context of this uh, next I am statement, John, verse, uh, John 7 verse 2 says, When the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. That's the context. And it's kind of like a first century hyperlink. Uh, John's gospel would have had Jewish readers. And they would have understood what the the festival of the tabernacles was all about. But for those uh, who were non-Jews who are hearing this, they they didn't know that it was the Sukkot. They didn't know that it was the festival of the booths. And so this is like a hyperlink for them to be able to say, okay, I, I I can find out more about what the context is. And that's exactly what happens. The festival of the tabernacles is the third of the three great festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Even though all three of these were were specifically for men uh, to come, men, all men were commanded to come, entire households would come to Jerusalem for the festival of the Tabernacles. It was such a joyous occasion. In Exodus, it's called the Feast of the Ingathering. It's a seven-day fall festival celebrating the end of summer, Uh, the summer harvest, and remembering God's provision for Israel as they traveled through 
uh, the desert from, from Egypt. And they lived in tents. In, that's why it's called the Feast of Booths, or in, in Hebrew, Sukkot. It's also a feast pointing to coming into the promised land. And just as the Passover prophetically also points to the sacrificial lamb of God, points to Jesus' death and resurrection, just as Pentecost points to the coming of uh, the Holy Spirit and the first fruits of all nations. Read about it in Acts 2. The festival of tabernacles prophetically points to the final ingathering after the day of judgment and the celebration of the nations around the throne of God. So now when we look at the beginning of John 7, it seems like there's a little sibling rivalry going on. Jesus' brothers were pushing Jesus to go up to the festival, saying, show yourself. Jesus, knowing that the Jewish leaders wanted to kill him, uh, he told his brothers that he wasn't going because his time had not fully yet come. But after the brothers left, interestingly, Jesus went up to Jerusalem in secret. And in verse 17, we read that it was halfway through the festival that Jesus arrives and starts teaching in the temple courts. Now, in addition to being a festival of great joy, there are two major themes that are happening during this festival, water and light. And Jesus makes claims about himself around both of those. So let's fast forward to our next hyperlink in verse 37 where it says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, rivers of living waters will flow from within him. Now this is a stunning claim that Jesus is making. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me. Which is connected to Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Let's also take a look at that hyperlink I mentioned that John made. It was on the last and greatest day of the festival. This is day seven of this festival of the tabernacles. The last day of the seven-day feast of the tabernacles. In Hebrew, it's referred to as Hoshana Rabbah which means the great salvation. I kind of was like, what's that all about? And so I was looking into it and said, every day of the feast, the priests would go around the altar praying from Psalm 118, verse 25, Lord, save us. They would include that in all their prayers as they would circle the altar one time. But on the seventh day, They would circle the altar seven times. And each of those times in their prayers, they would pray from Psalm 118, 25, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. Lord, save us, included in all their prayers. And so Jesus, whose name in Hebrew is Yeshua, which means God saves, is right in their midst. Addressing all who are looking for salvation, saying to them, 
all who are thirsty, come to me. Then, each morning at dawn, there was a joyful procession. Mind you, at dawn, because they've been celebrating all night long. There's a joyful procession to the pool of Siloam to draw out water with a golden jug. And then after the procession, back to the temple with temples, with uh, trumpets and, and psalms that they'd be singing, the assigned priest would pour out the water on the altar alongside of the regular morning daily offering. The water would flow from the altar as a symbol of the water that came out of the rock while Israel was traveling in the desert. This act of pouring out water also pointed to a messianic prophecy of Zechariah 14, which Jews would read and still do to this day every year in connection with the tabernacles, the festival of the tabernacles. Zechariah 14.8 says, On that day, living water will also flow from out of Jerusalem. And as we see in the next verse in John, Jesus is referring to this living water as the Holy Spirit that will flow for whomever believes in him. John wrote, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Jesus was saying that the Holy Spirit would be poured out to whomever believes in him. Not just a trickle, but rivers of living water that would bring life wherever they go. The crowds at the tavern, at the temple, they were mixed. Some said, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. And still others totally disagreed and couldn't believe that the Messiah would come from Galilee. Even the temple guards who were sent to get Jesus, they were mesmerized by what he said. They said, no one has ever spoken the way this man has. Now, to the theme of light. Another tradition that Jews maintained in the temple around the festival of the tabernacles is recorded in the Mishnah, which is the written summary of the oral law of Moses. It gives insight into what Jewish traditions were, including during the temple time around where Jesus was there. In the women's courtyard of the temple, which you see here, there were four large poles. It's recorded there in the Mishnah, each with a large candelabra with four large golden bowls of oil. And here's a few uh, artist renditions of what that could have looked like in the second temple that Jesus would have been at. I hope they're kind of clear. These pillars were in the women's courtyard of the temple. That's where all the Israelites were allowed to come, men and women. Women would be on the balconies. And the candelabras were only lit during the Feast of Tabernacles. So here the pillars, they were at least 25 meters high. So I was thinking, okay, this is about maybe five meters, maybe six. I don't know, just multiply this like four or five times. They were huge. And it was said that these candelabra would light up the entire city of Jerusalem at night. 
collectively. They symbolized the pillar of fire by night that God would provide the people of Israel during their journey through the wilderness. One description of them I read said that Jews called these lights from these pillars the light of the world. And that leads us to John 8, 12, where Jesus makes his second I am statement. But that's right after a woman is caught in adultery and was put before him that next day in the temple just after dawn. The Pharisees, the legalistic religious leaders, wanted to stone her. But Jesus writes in the sand, and it says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone of her at her. Slowly, all of her accusers leave. And he asks the woman where they all are, and then tells her, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. And after this, Jesus spoke to the people again and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In the backdrop of these tremendous lights of the festival of the tabernacles and the darkness of both the woman's and the Pharisees' sins, the message Jesus is making is clear and confronting. Into the midst of the darkness, he's saying, I am the light of the darkness. And the darkness had to leave. Whether it was the darkness of the Pharisees who kept it in their heart, they fled, or the darkness that was in the woman's heart, and she stayed in the light. Using the phrase, I am, refers to God's name for himself. Spoken to Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am. The Jews got it. It points back even further to the very first words God spoke when he created the universe. Let there be light. The pillar of light that guided the Israelites by night was a manifestation of God's presence with his people. And whether these large symbolic candelabras, these huge ones on their poles, were already put out that morning or not, Jesus is saying he is the real light of the world. And anyone caught in darkness can follow him and live in the light of light instead, light of life instead. Now in the rest of chapter 8, it's interesting, the Pharisees immediately begin a huge debate with Jesus after he makes this statement. And we don't hear anything more about light for the rest of the chapter. But the debate ends in verse 58, when Jesus comes back to where he started, to the claim that runs throughout each of these statements that we're looking at in this series. Very truly I say you, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. He is making an identity claim that cannot be mistaken. He is saying, I am. He is God. And what's the response? The Jews picked up stones and were ready to start stoning him. It's an intense story. Jesus escapes the temple grounds. And now in chapter 9, 
we see that it's on the Sabbath that Jesus and his disciples see a man who had been blind from birth. And after some discussion with his disciples about why the man is blind, Jesus underlines and explains what he had told the crowds. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud from it, and spreads the mud on the blind man's eyes and tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, the same pool that they drew water from for the Feast of Tabernacles. And when the man does that, What Jesus said, he's healed, and he could see a tremendous miracle, one of the signs in the Gospel of John. But for the Pharisees, it's a major problem, because Jesus is making mud on the Sabbath to heal this man, was breaking the laws of the Sabbath as they understood it, and punishable by death. The man who was healed is then brought in for questioning, and the Pharisees ask him, Who do you think this man is? Speaking of Jesus. In the first round of the questions, in verse 17, the man says, he is a prophet. And then there's a second round of interrogation. And the man says in verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And with that statement, the healed man who once was blind is thrown out of the synagogue by the Pharisees who are blind to the one who healed him. Jesus then finds this man after he had been thrown out of the synagogue. To me, it's an act of compassion. He goes and finds him. And he asks, do you believe in the Son of Man? Jesus said, you have now seen him. And in fact, he's the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And for me, this is the beauty of this whole passage. Jesus simply calls on people to believe in him. Not to keep a long list of do's and don'ts, but simply to believe in him. And here's the result. We worship him. We worship him. And how do we worship him? There's so many ways. We've been part of that this morning already, but Jesus said later to his disciples in John, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a promise that comes through loving him and being filled with his spirits. Rivers of living water will flow from your life. Now, if you're at a place in your life where you're wondering, who really is Jesus. I believe his word to you today is clear. He is the I am. He is the light of the world. And he wants to give light to your world. If you feel like you've been living in darkness, regardless of how long, Jesus wants you to see and believe so that God's works might be displayed in your life. It doesn't mean that the road will be without difficulty or even rejection. But he says later, I have come as light 
into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Jesus doesn't want you to remain in darkness. The apostle Peter says it this way to all of us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wherever you are in your journey with who Jesus is, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Jesus' message was that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. There is no yin and yang of light and dark with God. He wants you to walk in the light. And his promise to each of us is if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. There is so much darkness in the world. But we know that light will overcome darkness. Again, Jesus said, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So when faced with darkness, rather than magnify how great the darkness is, we can magnify how great the light is. And as we do that, we start reflecting the light of Christ into the darkness. We can't keep the light hidden. In fact, Jesus told his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. He goes on, a town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I started to think about What are some of the darkest places in the world? And as I was doing that, I I began to realize that as Crossroads, we have people being a light to so many of those places. We can look at the wars that are going on in Ukraine or Myanmar or the long-term war and turmoil in Yemen and Afghanistan and many other places that aren't even in the news. And we have people being a light to those places from our community, from our, those missionaries that have been sent out. There are ministries to those coming out of prisons and to those who are destitute and to those who live in the darkness of never having heard of who Jesus really is. He is their light too. There's the darkness of human trafficking and modern-day slavery, and people fleeing from war and poverty, some who are right here in the Netherlands. And there's people from Crossroads who are involved with this. There's also the darkness of lives that are being lived without hope, without relationship, without fellowship. The darkness of addictions, whether in substances, sex, or porn, or even unhealthy relationships, Crossroads has people who want to help others out of these very personal places of darkness. Just like we heard, you can join that group celebrating recovery. 
I know there's still much more to see Christ's light come into all the world. And there are many more ministries that God still has for us as a church body to bring the light into the world. The ministry of your Monday through Sunday, being the light, whether at work or school or home or anywhere else, you are to be the light of the world. And I am convinced that Jesus wants to start by bringing people, you and me, the ones close by and the ones far off, into the light. And as he does, he's calling us to be the light in the world because he lives in us and shines through us. He's calling us to live radically by believing in him, which becomes our worship as we trust in him as we turn the other cheek, as we love our enemies, as we give hospitality to fulfill the one new commandment Jesus gave to those who love him, to love others just as he has loved us. Today, Jesus' words still call us to action. As long as it is day, we must do the works of the one who's sending us. So if you're wondering where to do that, find a place that's dark. Find a place that people say it's too hard, it's too dark, and let your light shine there before others. The light of Christ is in you, and it will shine in the darkest places on earth. He is the light of the world. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.